This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, so now we're supposed to think that a mediocre, below expectations jobs uh, jobs report is something to celebrate? Is this what the media is really going to tell us? You know, it's good. Joe Biden can go around, eh, it's a great economy. I saw the things, the charts, you know. I got all the smart people around me and, you know, social justice, blah, 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 equality, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to go play golf. Right. That's who's running the country now. Isn't that exciting? Now, we are seeing a repeat of the eight years of Obama when weak economic growth, weak job growth was somehow celebrated. Oh, because it's better than it was. They're going to be telling you soon. Look at the comparison between now and in the middle of the pandemic. Look at how much better it is. Joe Biden's great. And we'll all be saying that's because there's not a pandemic. And it's nothing to do with Joe Biden. But we'll get into that. You know, my friends, you know how important it is to help small businesses these days. You know how much they matter to me. And for a few weeks now, I've been telling you about a great company based out of Charleston, South Carolina, called Allegiance Flag Supply. I love their story. Three friends who noticed that the American flags they had in front of their houses were constantly getting tangled, mildewed, torn or shredded after just a few months in flight. They searched high and low for a better flag, but big box stores and Amazon purchases only turned up flags that were made in China or even if they were made here in the U.S., felt mass produced or spit out of some big machine, making thousands at a time with cheap materials like you and me. The flag means more to them. So they decided to do something about it. They started Allegiance Flag Supply out of their own garage and have built the company from the ground up. No investors, no loans, just their blood, sweat, tears, and time. And today they make the best American flags and accessories you can find on the market. So if you've been looking to purchase a flag for your home or you're too tired of the flag getting tangled or torn or shredded so quickly, go to showallegiance.com. Just go to that website, showallegiance.com. And you'll find the highest quality American flags. Showallegiance.com. Make sure you enter promo code BUCK. That'll get you 10% off your purchase. Flag day is coming up June 14th. Get your flag for the summer season by going to showallegiance.com and enter promo code BUCK for 10% off. U.S. employers added 559,000 jobs last month, well below what was expected. And the unemployment rate dip down from 6.1% to 5.8%. So we're crawling in the right direction, but we're supposed to think that this is great. Why? Well, because there's a Democrat in office. And because when there are Democrats who spend a lot of time talking about climate change and social justice and critical race theory and Marxism and its various iterations, businesses, people who actually have to function in the private sector, they make decisions that are a response to exactly what the Democrats are doing. And that means slower growth, less investment, less hiring. We all know this, but the American people forget, you see, they, they have a Republican pro-business, leave you alone, let the American people prosper, President, and then enough of them forget, and they're told, oh, there's more free stuff out there. We're going to give you more free things. Just vote Democrat. And we just keep going through this cycle. I really wish that, well, we'd have to break through the generally now the uh, social media monopoly as well as the mainstream corporate media's fire hose of disinformation to get people to understand what the truth is about the American economy and and what the Democrats are actually doing to it. But it's okay. We, We have a party, the Democrat Party, that is run effectively for the elites and the dependent class and special interests. People who are trying to make it, who are trying to build financial stability and then security and then even wealth, people that are in the fight. They don't matter to the Democrat Party. You want to be rich living in Malibu or you want to be a bureaucrat getting paid more than you're worth working for the government somewhere or you want to be demanding free college, free health care, free everything. That's that's the Democrat economic mantra. But I wanted to switch gears here for a second uh, because it's it's troubling that we have to go through so many 
uh, so many different versions of this same story. And we're going to continue to suffer through this before eventually enough people in the Democrat Party and enough of those who work in the media will have to relent from the madness of defund the police. Um, it's going to take time. It's going to require suffering. That's one of the, the big problems of having the left in charge. Uh, they have quite a high tolerance for the suffering of others. You have to start with that. And they also create excuses for the suffering they create because it's all about their intentions, not about results. Oh, we wanted to create total equity among all people in America. So the fact that what we really did was make people less free, poorer, more dependent, more angry. That doesn't matter. You've seen this in plenty of centrally planned societies, centrally planned economies, and it plays out exactly as expected. With law enforcement these days, we all know what's going to continue to happen. They undermined the cops. You have big spikes in murders and shootings all across the country. You have major challenges now for cities. It's not even really worth it to name them. The top 50 cities in America basically are deteriorating, going through greater crime, greater dysfunction. And what do they offer us in response? Well, the media continues to look for every opportunity to find some story of prejudice somewhere, some instance of a cop behaving badly, uh, using excessive force. And because there's such a focus on that, there is a disconnect. There is a sense among many that law enforcement is not doing a good job, that they are, in fact, the problem, that they are causing violence all across America when they are the solution to that violence, largely the solution. There's many things we could talk about that would help. But I'm, I'm seeing this story about a fiery riot in George Floyd Square in Minneapolis, because, as you know, St. George, George Floyd is now elevated, has been elevated to the status of a religious icon, a man who was a convicted felon and uh, had a long rap sheet who was killed by a police officer in Minneapolis is now treated as though he is a civil rights hero. This is the way that the story goes now. So he has a square. There are people that go there. There are vigils, you know, by candlelight or whatever. Well, now we have George Floyd Square smoldering because a number of BLM activists, rioters, protesters, whatever you want to call them, very angry. Why were they so upset? Well, because there was a man who was shot by police in Minneapolis. Winston Boogie Smith, 32 years old, wanted for possession of a firearm by a felon, which is in itself a felony. He was outside a parking garage at about two o'clock yesterday, three miles from George Floyd Square. U.S. Marshals. I've worked with some of those individuals. I know them well. Uh, U.S. Marshals uh, swooped in to arrest him. He was in a parked car and he According to police, and yes, there will be and should be an investigation, and we should make sure that this is what happened, but they say that he pulled a handgun, and then they fired on him. Now, Mr. Mr. Smith had uh, 20 arrests, was somebody who was uh, violating his probation for aggravated robbery. So this is a man who's been in trouble with the law many, many times. He's a felon in possession of a firearm. He's committed robberies, committed serious crimes, aggravated robbery. And the police tried to arrest him. He pulled the gun. They shot him. If the police are not able to use force in a situation like this, again, assuming that the investigation finds that that is what happened, but we have no reason to believe as of now that is not what happened. If the police can't use force in that situation, then they are effectively incapable of doing their jobs and they won't want to do their jobs they're not going to show up why would they why put your life on the line in such a way you can't even defend yourself it's dangerous enough when you can use lethal force but now if you have to use 
your service weapon, whether you're a U.S. marshal or state or local police or whatever law enforcement agency you're with, if you can't respond to a lethal threat with lethal force, you got to find another job. What does that mean for society? But I also want to know, why do we not have a, a disdain? Why is there not vitriol? Uh, there, there should be such a repudiation of the kind of actions that we see here in George Floyd Square afterwards. They're, they're looting stores. They looted a CVS. They're, they're lighting dumpsters on fire. For what? What does that accomplish? What does that show? Is this really now just a movement that's an excuse for people who are angry, who are frustrated, who are often acting in a way that is childish, that is selfish? Looting stores, destroying buildings, destroying property because something happened that, quite honestly, has nothing to do with any of these individuals. They weren't there. They don't know what happened, but they loot and they riot and they burn anyway. And does anyone in the corporate media aligned with the Democrat Party show disgust? Does anybody go on TV and say, this is grotesque. You are dishonoring the member, uh, the memory of uh, St. George Floyd. You are dishonoring whatever the BLM movement actually stands for. As you know, it's an anti-cop movement, but sometimes they pretend it's about police reform or something like that. And that this is not acceptable in a civilized country. You don't just respond to reports of a police-involved shooting by burning down, looting, and destroying. You don't do that. It's, not, it's never okay. It's not okay now and won't be okay in the future. They won't say that. No, there's so much pandering. Oh, the, the BLM activists, we, we don't want to upset them. The corporate media, so many of them, millionaires who live in uh, not diverse neighborhoods, I might add, and send their children to not diverse schools, private schools, and then go on TV and lecture all the rest of you about criminal justice and the need to do more for for BIPOC communities. And you say, what are you doing? CNN anchor, what are you doing, New York Times editorial board, other than feeding into false narratives and lies that lead to this kind of completely unacceptable conduct? This is this is just pathetic. It's pathetic. It's a babyish tantrum in the name of justice. Yeah, I'm sure the people who work at CVS, who have to clean up the mess the next day after the looting happens, I'm sure they feel like it's really about justice. Do they count too? Never mind all the, all the law enforcement officers that will have to deal with uh, the rioters, that they have to wrestle to the ground, that throw things at them, that just resist arrest. All of this stress and anger and destruction for what? Because some people refuse to live in the real world and the Democrat Party has concocted a very convenient narrative for those who don't want to be held accountable, who don't want to show individual responsibility and initiative for their actions. BLM activists running around telling lies about law enforcement helps nobody. And I just wish the Democrats would knock the crap off and be honest about this, but it's not going to happen. Essential for their power to continue this lie. It's always good to hear voices out there that will speak the truth, even when it's not fashionable in much of our culture, even when it's not going to get you a lot of praise by the corporate media, by the hashtag brigades in these left-wing social media giant uh, corporations. But it's still good to hear the truth, isn't it? And I have no illusions here. I always tell people, if you believe that the truth is what people want to hear, you haven't spent a lot of time walking around uh, America lately. Some people want to hear it. I would certainly make the case that they listen to shows like this one. They want to hear the truth. Not everybody wants to hear the truth, though. Oh, no, definitely not. Uh, But when you hear it and you're 
and you're somebody who does appreciate it, oh, it is sweet, isn't it? Here is a uh, father, a black father with his daughter uh, speaking about his view of individuals and race and critical race theory. And it's just brilliant. He just he makes so much sense and all of it, it all comes together so well. I just want to let you listen to this. If we find out this gentleman's name, by the way, I want to give him credit for it. But it was just a video, a viral video that's been making the rounds uh, the last couple of days. Here's what he says. Play 12. Daddy teaches you can be anything in this world that you want to be. Right? Don't daddy teach you that? Yeah, and it doesn't matter if you're black or white or any color. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, brown, yellow. Yellow. Right? Black. And and how we treat people is based on who yeah. they are and not and what color nice. they are. And if they're nice and smart. See? This is how this is how children think right here. Critical race theory wants to end that. Not with my children. It's not gonna happen. My baby's gonna know that no matter what she wants to be in life, all she has to do is work hard and she can become that. Work hard even though you don't know anyone, you can make friends. <laughs> Yeah, you can make friends, no matter what color they are. So we need to stop CRT, period, point blank. Children do not see skin color, man. They love everybody. If they're good people, they love them. If they're good people, they love them. What matters is, are you nice, are you smart? These are some of the most basic messages. I remember being a a preschooler, and, and this was what we were all being instructed uh, about we're all being told all that matters is how a person is how they treat you how they treat other people and that this gentleman's name is Corey yeshua this was posted on tiktok the uh, social media platform that i know some of you are concerned about chinese surveillance via tiktok but anyway i'm actually i i i use tiktok i don't really post on there but i'm on it sometimes Corey yeshua went viral with this video with his daughter royalty who is particularly adorable uh, if you watch the video she's really cute and she's six years old and he's just speaking simple truths he's just saying things that we had all thought in america we, we had come to this point where we agreed that these things were universal they were obvious in fact and essential that a person's skin color does not matter that treating every human being as a human being and that Judging them by, yes, the content of their character instead of the color of their skin, to borrow from Martin Luther King, is what matters. But we are going, we're being pushed in this opposite direction now as a country where we have to think of of racial identity in everything that is going on around us all the time. And that there should be decisions, distinctions made based upon skin color. This is a this is a a moral failing this is not something that we can allow to continue as it is and when you have individuals like Corey Yeshua who is who is black and his daughter who is black and you know six years old who are seeing things with this clarity it's just it's encouraging it makes me think that maybe we will be able to push back this tide of CRT nonsense I mean, there's so there's so many levels where it's wrong. It all falls apart. I, I always wonder, you know, I, I have, uh, you know, in, in my own family, my my little nephew would be somebody of of two races. My adorable little nephew is of two races. So how, is, is he BIPOC when he grows up? Is he going to be told he has to be BIPOC? Does he does he choose one for identity purposes over the other or? You know, it, the whole thing, it, this is just all a construct used by people who want to sow division and pull us apart and control. This is for power for those who are pushing this narrative. This is because they want to tell you what to do and they want things for themselves. And I'm talking about people like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and many others, right? This is this is the entire left people who are on the left of all races they they view critical race theory and the social justice left 
as a mechanism for achieving power, as a mechanism for advancing themselves at the expense of others in society and using the state to accomplish that, using the government and the force of the government to those ends. It's, it's troubling to see, but as long as we have enough Corey Yeshua's and royalty Yeshua's in this country who are willing to speak the truth, we've got a, we've got a fighting shot at being the America I know we can be. Your online data and online identity is constantly under attack. That much we know for sure. Big tech is constantly looking for ways to withhold and use your information to sell. So what's the best way to keep your privacy and operate in business and in your personal life when you're doing anything online? Introducing Secure, the 100% privacy and security-focused instant messaging and email platform located in Switzerland. Why in Switzerland? That's the country with the world's strictest data privacy laws in effect. Secure, that's S-E-K-U-R, very important we get the spelling here, S-E-K-U-R, Secure is hailed by privacy advocates globally in the assurance that their data is truly kept safe by proprietary technology, independent platform, and military-grade encryption methods. Your data is yours alone. Secure does not data mine, use, or sell your data. Experience the ultimate bliss of knowing that your privacy is not in jeopardy from the prying hands of big tech. It's time to take back your privacy. Welcome to Secure. Go to this website now, secure.com. That's S-E-K-U-R, secure.com. Use the coupon code BUCK for one week free and 25% off. It's a great deal. Be sure to use coupon code BUCK. Go to secure, S-E-K-U-R.com, and regain your privacy online. And so in Florida, we chose freedom over Fauciism, and we're much better off for doing that. I think his lockdown policies were not justified by the scientific data. He was somebody that fear-mongered about schools. He did not support Florida uh, when we had our kids in school in person. Uh, I think he was wrong about mass and asymptomatic spread. And then obviously he does so many interviews that it was pretty clear to me after a pretty short time, you know, this was all about himself and his own mm-hmm. image. And for me, you look at that magazine cover with him lounging by the pool with the sunglasses on, you know, right in the midst of a pandemic. I mean, it was almost like a let them eat cake moment for all the people who were chafing under his lockdowns. And yet he seemed to be having the time of his life. I can't tell you how proud I am, not just of what we've done on this show during the during the course of the pandemic to combat Fauciism. But how many of you listening were really supportive, told me to keep it going, stay in the fight, don't drop this issue, don't shy away from it, don't get weak on it, go right into it. You know what's true. So thank you to all of you that were writing in and and sending us words of encouragement and, and support because now, yeah, now anybody who's reasonable and honest sees that Fauci is a is a smug little totalitarian lab coat fraud. Uh, but there was a long time when social media would shut you down for contradicting Fauciism, for criticizing, for saying that it was wrong. There was a long time when you were considered a some kind of conspiracy nut, a loon for even questioning St. Fauci. And I think we can all see now what a what an utter disaster this guy has been. And it didn't have to be this way at all. I don't just mean it didn't have to be this way for the country with the bad decisions that were pushed on all of us by Fauciism. I mean that he could have been a bureaucrat in the background doing his job. There, there was no reason for him to come forward and be the face of our response to the pandemic. But this guy loved the limelight. You know, he's he's older. What what else? What, what else is he waiting for? Right. This this was his big chance. This was his big moment. And he seized it and then some. But unfortunately, he was weighed and found wanting. Not a, a good showing from uh, from Fauci at all. And that's why people like Ron DeSantis are now pointing out that this was not necessary. And Ron DeSantis has done such an incredible service for the country because if it was not for, if it wasn't for Florida, uh, we would not be in a position 
that we're currently in where reasonable, rational people are going are just living their lives now. People who are no longer or, or people rather who are, are still living with lockdown restrictions voluntarily in any capacity, they, they're suffering from an anxiety disorder. They have they have a mental illness, perhaps low grade, but they have a problem. Because there's no basis for this anymore. There's no basis in reality, in real risk factors and real risk mitigation. But that's what happens when you have a steady diet of absurdity from Fauci and the rest. Here's the statement by Donald Trump, 45th president of the United States on this one. I just want to read this to you. This just came out yesterday. After seeing the emails, our country is fortunate I didn't do what Dr. Fauci wanted me to do. For instance, I closed our borders to China very early, despite his not wanting them closed. The Democrats and the fake news media even called me a xenophobe. In the end, we saw this was a life-saving decision, and likewise with closing our borders to Europe, specifically to certain heavily infected countries. I was later given credit, even by Tony, for saving hundreds of thousands of lives. Dr. Fauci also didn't put an emphasis on speed of vaccine production because he thought it would take three, four, or maybe even five years to create. I got it done in less than nine months with Operation Warp Speed. In retrospect, the vaccine is saving the world. Then I placed the greatest bet in history. We ordered billions of dollars worth of vaccines before we knew it even worked. Had that not been done, our wonderful vaccines would not have been administered until October of this year. No one would have had the shot that has now saved the world in millions of lives. This is very important. What is the one truly successful component of our response to COVID-19? The vaccine. The vaccine. Now, that's not to say that I'm, I'm telling everybody, oh, you have to get the vaccine or everything else. I'm just saying the one thing that does work, if you are a senior citizen, this vaccine brought your risk down tremendously and made it much, much safer for you to just live your life normally. You know, if you're 75 and up, this vaccine was certainly uh, a lifesaver for many of them and for other people, too, who had comorbidities or at high risk. And it looks like now we are getting to a place closer to herd immunity where there won't even there just won't be the room for this virus to spread in the way it had in the past, which means that everybody will be at lower risk, too. That's that's part of the premise of herd immunity. Right? If there are fewer vectors for the disease in the first place because of people having protection, including from natural immunity, which doesn't get factored into anything the Biden administration is talking about, we're all better off. But the vaccine at Operation Warp Speed was an enormous success. The lockdowns, the mask mandates, all this stuff was a, an enormous failure. We should all be very honest about that. We should see it for what it is. What they told us did not work. It did not work. And now that the truth seems to be coming out or beginning to come out about Dr. Fauci. I'm glad that people are finally willing to ask questions about this whole process. The cover-up, which we talked about a lot yesterday, of the origins or the origin, the, the thinking in the early days about the origins of COVID-19, that cover-up is remarkable when you really start to piece it all together and pretty terrifying that the scientific community could move so quickly to this kind of false consensus for what are obviously political reasons should give everybody a chill up their spine. Really? We were supposed to believe that scientists were better than this. That's at least the, that was the, the, the public perception of it. We're supposed to believe that. But the truth is it's a shame, but... The same leftist indoctrination that has overtaken universities, journalism, corporate boardrooms has also churned out new generations of woke scientists and social justice obsessed doctors. And now these are all professions that the public will generally trust less going forward and rightfully so. I mean, if you need a refresher on this, never forget that our blue check Public health experts, the ones appearing on CNN and MSNBC night after night, 
told us that paddling a surfboard alone at the beach in California was basically murdering old people. But thousands and thousands of BLM protesters and rioters in close quarters, hundreds and hundreds of times all across the country, screaming at police, spittle flying out of their mouths. Well, that was somehow saving lives during the pandemic, according to the public health experts. Do not trust journalists and do not trust any public health bureaucrat. Check their work always. If you take it on faith, you are going to be fooled. Check their work. Check the work of Dr. Fauci specifically. Former uh, Secretary of State Pompeo had quite an observation, and that is Fauci has a, a strange habit of sounding very much like talking points from the Chinese Communist Party. Fauci seems to take a very pro-Chinese government position. He keeps acting like the scientists who work in, uh, work in state-funded uh, laboratories, state-run laboratories in China. Oh, they're fine. They're not subject to any pressures or anything. They're his treasured colleagues. This is Fauci. Isn't that quite strange? It's bothersome, isn't it? Here we have uh, Pompeo saying exactly that. Play 10. When you heard Dr. Fauci this morning, Laura, those are the exact same words, the exact same excuses, the exact same theories that the Chinese Communist Party has presenting for over a year now. Uh, But we, we can all draw our own conclusions. I know this. We had a group inside the State Department, Miles Yu, a handful of others working diligently to get this information out to the American people so the world could see what the Chinese Communist Party had done to all of us. Yes. The world should see that. But remember this, because I I think that this has gotten lost in a lot of this discussion. Um, While while we see everything going on here, uh, it was clear that the Democrat Party and federal health bureaucracy, which are really the same thing, were so interested in protecting China's government from blame for the COVID-19 outbreak, that it was more important to them to blame Trump and win the election in 2020 than to get it right and hold the CCP accountable. They would rather lie to all of you and the whole world about the origins of COVID-19, even though that means we're more susceptible to another outbreak, we're not as able to understand how this happened, how we should deal with it, that didn't matter. All that mattered to the Democrat Party and their aligned media mouthpieces was defeating Trump in 2020. If that meant running cover for China, they were fine with that. They had no problem with that. In fact, they saw it as an opportunity. As as disgraceful as that is, they saw it as an opportunity. They, They managed to convince just enough people to blame Trump for COVID. As if, you know, he was serving bat soup himself or experimenting with gain-of-function research at Mar-a-Lago. These people are nuts. We're generally peacemakers, right? Uh, But that's our problem. Our campaign and electioneering asymmetry has left us in the position where we are watching democracy collapse. So, you know, it is time. I mean, it's kind of like being, you know, attacked in Pearl Harbor. We had Pearl Harbor, right? We've been living through it. It, It's been a slow running event. But, you know, with Trump's, um, you know, comments about election integrity from the beginning, I mean, beginning of the presidential cycle, we now see uh, about 35 percent of our fellow Americans think that Joe Biden stole the presidency and they're seeing that message reinforced all through their ecosystem. Right. Right. And what our side is seeing is not that stuff. Right. Many people who vote voted in this uh, like what I call the Trump against Trump coalition. They've tuned back out. They are complacent. Two thousand four hundred and three people, Americans were killed at Pearl Harbor. Okay. Uh, can, can we stop with the idiocy about the January 6th insurrection? It was like worse than 9-11, worse than Pearl Harbor. It was the worse than the than the bubonic plague. It was the worst thing. To, I mean, can, can they just stop 
No, they won't, though. I, I say that, and I know you're saying, no, Buck, they're not going to stop because they're emo- these are emotionally damaged, deeply unhappy people that are popping up all over you know, MSNBC and CNN. These libs, these sad Marxists, have to find a way to explain their constant need to both control you and to live in abject fear. They want to tell you what to do all the time and how you have to do everything, but also, oh my gosh, I'm so scared of you. You know, what is this? This whole storyline that, you know, we're, we're in this crisis of democracy because of people who think that Donald Trump won the election or whatever it is. 60%, maybe even as high as 70% of Democrats thought that Russia stole the election from, uh, from Hillary Clinton the year after the 2016 election. Huge majorities of Democrats believed that crap. Okay? They believed it. A large percentage, I've got to go back and check the numbers, a large percentage of Democrats thought that Russia actually changed votes in the voting machines. You can go back, you can go back and see these numbers yourself. And now, after four years of that, which is, you know, a, a completely Looney Tunes insane conspiracy theory, after four years of that, now they turn around and say, oh, but, but, but people don't, people think that Democrats cheated to get Joe Biden to win. Our democracy is in crisis. Are, are Republicans out burning stuff and lighting things on fire and freaking out and acting like maniacs? No. We're doing our jobs, taking care of our families, obeying the law, and, you know, hopefully tuning into the Buck Sexton show, especially the Clay and Buck show starting in a few weeks, 12 to 3 on 400 plus stations roughly across the country. That's hopefully what they're doing. Uh, that's what we well, That's what we're doing. And hopefully you'll join me. You're doing all the other stuff. No, we're responsible, well-adjusted human beings. All right. They, they don't get to do this thing where they riot and loot and pillage and act like maniacs all the time on the left. And one time there was a riot and people got out of hand and broke the law and they were on the ideological right. And we get to hear about it always and forever. This is, I told you, as soon as it happened, we're going to, this is going to be, you know, 9-11 for the next 10 years. You hear about this all the time. And they'll use it to justify whatever truly abhorrent, thuggish, destructive behavior the Democrat base and the Marxist left wants to engage in. I knew it would happen. As soon as I saw it, and oh my God, playing right into their hands. That's what the people on that day who engaged in the riots, where they did, played right. The, the biggest help they could have given the authoritarian Democrats imaginable. And, and I just, you know, it's so disappointing, so sad. It really is. I know there were so many tens of thousands of people who were just in D.C. that day who were there to peacefully protest and enjoy their First Amendment rights, but... You know, we don't we don't live in a fair media environment where that context is ever given. We we don't get the mostly peaceful protest designation on the right. We don't even get the what we should get, which is the ninety nine point nine percent of our protests of our gatherings, whether it's Tea Party or any number of things are lawful and law abiding. You know, but one time and this is all we hear about one time. And it's like Pearl Harbor. And how could someone go on TV and say something so stupid and not be laughed at by everybody, regardless of political party across the country? Well, because the Democrats are living in a mass delusion. The Biden administration formally ended the remain in Mexico policy of the Trump administration this week at our southern border. We've got that. And other hot, hot topic political issues to get into here with our friend Ryan Gradusky. He's a political consultant and author of They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created a National Populist Revolution. Mr. Gradusky, always good to have you. Thank you for having me back. So the Biden administration response to what's going on at the border is to really clarify that they don't want this to stop. And Kamala Harris is now saying She's going to be like the voting rights czar instead of the border czar. She wants no part of it. What's going on here? Right. Well, she's not. She has never visited the border while she's been vice president. So that's uh, very discouraging. Neither has Joe Biden. 
you know, to listeners who don't understand, the border situation is the worst it's been in decades. Um, it is fundamentally an open border. There are so many people crossing into the border right now that to uh, kind of mitigate the situation and make it go faster, they've stopped issuing court dates to migrants. So they say to them, go to your city of destination, wherever you're going, New York, Chicago, wherever it may be, find an ICE office, say you're here illegally, and then get a court date, which, of course, will never happen. It is is functionally an open border right now. And what the New York Times said this week, which was shocking, was that they've discovered so many people from India, Southeast Asia, the Middle East, Africa coming through our southern border, going and flying to Mexico and then crossing the southern border where they know they can get in. Which is ironic because Joe Biden has issued no travel advisory stuff towards a lot of these countries because of coronavirus. So you cannot fly directly to India, but you can fly from India to Mexico and then from Mexico walk to the United States. And that's what is happening time and time again. They found already, I think, two Yemenis people who are on the terror watch list. Um, There's warnings that many, many more could be coming in that are on the terror and no fly list. Uh, the terror watch list and no fly list. It's a functionally open border, and it's so manufactured. This was not this was not the case before Joe Biden won the the elected office because they know he's not going to do anything about it. And for decades, we've heard Democrats and we've heard progressives sit there and say, you know, we want to help the situation. It's just people who are here illegally already. No, they want to sit there and exacerbate the situation and make sure we're in a full on humanitarian crisis. You know, and I was on a plane uh, flight to New Orleans a few weeks ago, and I saw an, uh, a, a minor who was clearly here illegally. He didn't speak English. He had a translator. They escorted him on the plane. He got one of those comfort seats on taxpayer money, um, and they escorted him off the plane first. And so many liberals like look at a kid like this, you know, probably 12 or 13 years old, and they think, oh, it's so much better. He'll have opportunity for a better life than he did in Honduras or El Salvador, Guatemala. Those teenagers are the primary pr- primary targets for MS-13 and, and the Latin Kings and the 13th Street Gang. All the gangs have uh, made up compromise of large portions of non-citizens in this country. Look at that as a recruiting method. They look at a lot of these kids as recruiting methods for new members. And most of the people, by the way, who are coming are not coming as women and children. They are men of working age coming for, for jobs. Um, But carrying diseases, we have no idea. They're not being tested for medical diseases. They're not being seen if they have coronavirus or new strands of the coronavirus that are, um, you know, that would work against vaccines or or, or not work with vaccines. Um, And and people clearly have been arrested on the terror watch list. It is a huge national security, economic, um, humanitarian crisis. It has made billions of dollars for the cartel and coyotes and human smugglers. It is so irresponsible and it just shows that anyone pretending that there's some kind of bipartisan compromise that we could have um, on the issue of immigration and border are lying to you. Because if they were, listen, I mean, and because of our 14th Amendment, an illegal alien cannot give birth to another illegal alien. They become American citizens. If we were to just stop any future illegal immigration, the situation would go away on its own over the course of decades as people die or they move back home. Um, it would not be a situation. The fact that the Biden administration has turned a blind eye to that, bringing over tens of thousands per month, hundreds of thousands per month in, in one case, or 100,000 plus per month in one case, um, uh, across the border, and are turning a blind eye to it, and are taking away the controls the Trump administration had to sit there and stop this. The safe third country agreements remain, may, remain in Mexico. These were wildly successful things that he did on illegal immigration, wildly successful, and they're being ripped apart, you know, point by point for nothing besides political reasons. We're speaking to Ryan Gerdusky, author of They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created a National Populist Revolution. He's a political consultant. And and to that end, Ryan, are are we seeing any indicators? I know it's early midterms or people are like, oh, the midterms, you know, they're not going to want to talk about it until we're really in the cycle, but it's going to come pretty quickly here. But from any of the indicators polling we can see or even just what you pick up from from other people who are thinking about or or already working on campaigns, um, you know, at the ground level. Is this is this costing Democrats? It feels like the border's open. The media tries to avoid covering it. And a lot of Americans don't care because they don't know how bad it is. Is is that what's going on here? Right. Well, in Arizona, the number one issue now is immigration. It's, it's replaced coronavirus in the economy and a lot of border areas. It's immigration. Um 
uh, you know, I think that they don't they don't see it, so they don't know how bad it's happening. And it's funny when you look at polling for Joe Biden, it's pretty much a mixed bag on a few issues like the economy and foreign policy. It's very negative on Israel. It's very negative on immigration. Um, and the one thing that he is benefiting from, the one thing that's saving the Democrats is the coronavirus vaccine, which was created under Trump. It's the biggest irony in the entire world. I just don't know how long he can possibly milk that for. Um, given that our job numbers, which came out today, were pretty horrendous. I think they underreported for a second straight month by 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 a huge number, huge margins. Um, the amount of workers in the people in the workforce is, you know, lower than it's been in a very long time. People are not looking for jobs um, because they have higher unemployment. It, it is. It is. Uh, it's. It's a dire situation. So how it's going to affect the rest of the 2022 elections? No one really knows yet. They keep looking to these special elections like they're like they're tea leaves. I'm telling you, most special elections do not guarantee the outcome of a presidential election or a midterm election. They can show signs, but it's it's very often they don't show anything. The election in New Mexico, where Democrats had a big victory last week is probably not a guarantee for anything because only 38 percent or 39 percent of the population that voted in 2020 showed up in that election um in texas six in, in a suburb of dallas republicans had a big victory three weeks before um, republicans also had a big victory in pennsylvania the midterms are going to come down to essentially especially in the senate they're going to come down to a handful of states north carolina where there's a retiring republican ohio Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, those are all Republican health seats. And the Democrat health seats will be New Hampshire, um, Nevada, Arizona, and Georgia. And those eight or nine races, maybe Missouri, if there's a fluke and Democrats win a lot, but those eight or nine races decide the entire United States Senate. We don't have a redistricting map yet, so we have to see how much they redistrict in these other states and make, you know, swing things for Democrats or Republicans, depending on who controls um, the redistricting process. So it, it's it's a little too early now to sit there and, and make the claim that we're going to have things move one way or the other. Um, you know, but certainly things are not looking as rosy for Democrats um, as they were just a few months ago. I think the election, national election was like D plus like four or D plus five. It's looking more and more now like it's D plus two and we're still a year and a half away. Um, and if that happens and it, it, it becomes a, a dead even race, you'll look at Republicans taking the House definitely. And uh, we'll wait and see what happens with the Senate. We're speaking to Ryan Gerdusky. He's a political consultant and author of They're Not Listening. Ryan, the maniacal fixation from pundits, the media and the Democrat, uh, you know, the Democrat ruling elites on January 6th, it seems like they're running a contest every day to come up with the most outrageous and absurd thing to say. It's like 9-11. It's like Pearl Harbor. It's the worst thing to happen in America since the Civil War, right? I mean, these are things that they're directly saying. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, those are all quotes in one form or another. I mean, those are all the kinds of comparisons that are being made. Does this, does is, is this one of these things where it's like Russia collusion, which was a, an enormous fixation for the media, but actually in the midterms, people cared about health care? Or do you think that this is actually, you know, a, a, a tool for the Democrats to mobilize their base and to get votes? Is, is this yeah, like no, a, a this preoccupation is, of the elites or is this real? No, this is all fake. I mean, no one outside of the Virginia, Maryland, D.C. corridor actually care about this issue whatsoever. No one cares. This is what they're hoping. Listen, it's like the old expression, if God didn't exist, we'd have to make him up. Um, well, Trump doesn't exist on social media. I mean, now he does. He's on Instagram and Facebook, I guess. But he really doesn't exist on social media. He's not what he was. He's not in, in the presidency anymore. So they've had to stir up, you know, that Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene are, you know, and Lauren Boeber. They're the new Trumps, and they're they're having to sit there and create this, you know, national anxiety again over issues because for a year, I mean, ratings were super high. The press was full of election stories and Trump stories and January 6th and coronavirus stories. And now look at the ratings. I mean, CNN regularly does not have a million people watch their show at any given time. Um, and I think that they're looking for something to sit there and gin up people into a national anxiety, but people can't live like that for years and years and years and years. And, uh, and I think that a lot of people are just exhausted with, with the amount of chaos. And I've been, I've been all over the country. And at this point, I mean, a lot of people have just, they've checked out of the coronavirus hype. They've checked out of, of, of the political hype. 
So, you know, Joe Biden being this innocuous figure who very rarely gives press conferences, no one really sees what he does, um, is, is, is been to their benefit, but it's been to the media's, uh, it's been worse for the media. That's why I think, I, I think every major, uh, show on CNN and MSNBC covered that Trump shut down his blog. This is not a major news story in, in the slightest, but they have to sit there and gin up something that they need something to sit there and keep, you know, the the Chardonnay Antifa resistance moms uh, clicking onto their network. So they got really nothing right now. Yeah, it is amazing how much they still really want to talk about Trump, which is quite odd because even people that support and voted for Trump are like, OK, we're not talking about Trump right now. We got other things we're trying to talk about, but they, they right, still exactly. want to. They want to go back to that well. They haven't given it up yet. And I think this I think this upcoming election is probably the most important election for the Republican Party since 1980. And I'll say this while maybe since 2016 and 1980, because now that Trump is no longer in office, I mean, Trump really went after some traditional Republican orthodoxy for a very long time as far as what it's like to believe in an industrial policy an immigration policy, a foreign policy different than George W. Bush and, and from John McCain and Mitt Romney and previous Republicans. And there are going to be candidates who are really uh, who are running for office that really believe in those values, that really want to change uh, the system. There's a lot that I've spoken to. And then there's other ones who are going to sit there and have a MAGA bumper sticker on their campaign bus, but they're going to be the same old thing. And depending on who wins a lot of these primaries, these Senate offices and these governorships and these House candidates, we will see a new Republican Party or we will see uh, the same Republican Party with a MAGA bumper sticker on their, on their bus door. Right now, someone forces you to answer the question is trump really going to run again what's your feeling no i've said this i've said i've been i've been on the record no he branded the term 45 which is if you're branding the number rather than the rather than the candidate it assumes that he's not going to run again there's so much excitement behind ron DeSantis right now in florida i think the base really really wants him i was saying to a pollster yesterday i said you know no one realizes but this it's 1978 and and Ron DeSantis is Donald Trump, and we're just waiting for him to run. Uh, I don't think that there's any kind of confusion behind it. I think we all really know who we want. Um, and and you know, there's not that there's not support for other people like Nikki Haley or uh, you know other nonsense candidates. But we have our guy who's right on almost every issue and is willing to at least at least if he's not right, he's willing to sit there and try. And maybe he doesn't have the perfect answer on everything. He's willing to go to bat. And I just don't see how it's not. I just don't see how it's not Ron DeSantis at this point. I mean, something could randomly happen and there could be a huge scandal or he could lose the governorship re-election. I find it very, very, very difficult to sit there and see a way that it's not. Yeah, I've been I've been waiting for Ron DeSantis to know me and it, <laughs> it, it hasn't happened where you go, oh, OK, so you actually aren't what we thought you are and aren't willing to fight. He hasn't done it yet. So It's hard. To, you want to you don't want to get excited about a politician because they disappoint you so often but he hasn't and i'm just it it gives me more anxiety that he hasn't than it i feel exactly i was just talking about this (laughs) a couple weeks ago how i feel like i i gotta say something negative about him just for my own my own head because every day i'm just doing like the ron DeSantis, you know celebration party here and that's not how that's not the kind of show i do for anybody but he keeps right he's not tired of winning ryan he's actually not tired of winning i'm like so so there's that ryan gurdusky everybody check out uh, they're not listening his book my man the political consultant good to see you thank you 